and welcome to another episode of The Bike Shed, a weekly podcast from your friends at ThoughtBot about developing great software. I'm Joelle Kenville. And I'm Stephanie Min, and together we're here to share a bit of what we've learned along the way. So Stephanie, what's new in your world? So I have a win, I suppose, and a gripe from my client project this week that I would love to share. So my win is that I've been working in React lately, and I might have mentioned this on a previous episode, but it's been a few years for me, so I'm kind of catching up on the like new hot tooling, you know, whatever is popular in, in that world these days, and, you know, having to read a lot of documentation um, to figure out how to use it, uh, and, and just, like, in general, I think being a little bit outside my comfort zone. And I was working on an existing React component that was untested. And I had to change and extend some functionality in it. And we're also a little bit on a deadline. So there's like a little bit of pressure on the team to be delivering. And so when I got this ticket, I was like, okay, I am seeing this existing component that looks also like a few years outdated. Uh, it's using some of the older technology that we've kind of moved on from and was just like, oh, like I really should write tests for this before I go in and change some things just to, you know, feel confident that my changes don't break anything because it was like pretty gnarly. But I was not in the mood for it. This was uh, like two or three days ago. I was just like very grumpy and I was like, oh man, like why do I have to do it? <laughs> I kind of wanted to just get into the making the the changes so I could, you know, like deliver on this work. So spoiler, I did not write the tests that day and just like kind of went ahead with the changes. But then the next morning I woke up and I was feeling inspired. I was like, you know, I, I made those changes, but I'm actually not feeling that confident about it. So let me go back and try to write some tests. And I got to use the new tools I had been looking into. And I, and, that, and that was part of my like hesitation too. I was like, oh man, this is like a really old component and I don't want to use the old libraries that we were using for testing, but how is it going to play with the newer testing tools that we're using? And so there's just like a lot of, I think, barriers to me like feeling excited about writing those tests. But with my renewed energy, I did it and I feel very happy about it and proud of myself. Yeah, that's my little win. That's a, a roller coaster of a journey there. That sort of kind of deception when you find out that there are no tests for this and like somebody else's problem has kind of become your problem, but then you decide you don't want it to be your problem. You know, kick it down the road for somebody else and then you feel good about yourself and you decide to backfill the tests anyway and you get that confidence and now everything's better for everybody. That is uh, quite the journey. Exactly. I... Listen to another podcast recently where they coined this term called tantrum logic, which is basically mm. the idea that when you're like kind of grumpy or like something happens and you're like, man, like I don't want to do any of this. Like if I can't do it my way, then I don't want to do it at all. <laughs> and just the idea that, you know, the way you're thinking about the, the issue at hand may not be totally grounded in reality. And I think I needed that reset and just, you know, a good night's sleep and going to do something else to come back and be like, actually, you know what, like, I do want to write those tests, even if it will be challenging. I'm in a better mind space for it. Mind space, headspace, <laughs> headspace for it. 
and I overcame the tantrum logic. A good night's sleep is just such a powerful tool for resetting. Yeah, I agree. Shout out to sleep. <laughs> it turns out that it can really have a positive effect on how you feel. By the way, this is not an advertisement. We are not sponsored by sleep. We just both love it and recommend it. <laughs> to get into my gripe a little bit, so you and I are on the same client project we've mentioned before on the show. And I think I, I even talked a little bit about receiving a new computer from uh, our client to do you know, our client work on. So now I have many devices at home. And we had also chatted previously about a note-taking app that we both use called Obsidian. And one of the reasons that I really like it is because it's all local storage. Uh, so your notes are not you know, like being uploaded to the cloud or, or whatever. Um, but that does make it hard to use on multiple, I mean, not just hard, impossible to use on multiple devices unless you pay for, they have a like a sync offering where you can use it on multiple devices. And I think it's also like encrypted in a certain way. Anyway, sometimes I'll be working on my client laptop and have some idea or thought that I really want to note down, but I don't have Obsidian installed on this machine and it's not synced to my other Obsidian. And I have just been kind of annoyed about having to go open another computer to write a thought down if I want to, to document it. And I'm curious how you deal with this problem. So the downside of Obsidian not being a cloud product is that you don't just get that sync for free. Uh, the upside of it just being markdown files on your hard drive is that you can use any other product or tool that you want to manipulate these files. So I have my Obsidian Vault, which is just the term for the directory where it keeps all of its files, in a Dropbox directory. And so I have it sync across multiple machines just by being signed into my Dropbox account. Mm. That's smart. And that sync is pretty smooth for you. You don't have any issues with updating it in one spot and seeing those changes in another. I have not had issues with that. Of course, I'm not jumping between machines, you know, within 30 seconds of each other. Generally, I'm also connected to the internet. So I haven't had a situation where I make a change to a machine not connected to the internet. And then later on, I edit an old version on a different machine that is connected to the internet, and now we have conflict. I've not run into that problem. Okay, cool. That sounds good. That's funny you mentioned that because just the other day off mic, you and I were on a call uh, doing a little bit of pairing, and you were on both machines at the same time <laughs> because we had to use one for our call, and then you were looking something up on your client computer as well, and the thought of you just like using two computers at once was very amusing to me. The the ultimate hacker move in, I was going to say bad, but that's maybe a little bit too judgmental. But yeah, in classic, I feel like police shows, things like that. Mm -hmm. I do have one more thought about note-taking that we haven't talked about before, but I'm really curious. How do you deal with thoughts you have on the road? during a time you don't have a device on you? Do you go and write that down somewhere or what do you do with those? I have an absolutely awful solution, which is I add it to my mental stack and hope it doesn't overflow before I get to a computer. <laughs> That's 
really funny because I used to do something similar where if I had a to-do list or something like that in my head, I would remember the number of items on my list to try to cue me into remembering what those items were. But the worst thing that would happen is I would remember that I had three things on my to-do list, but could only remember two. And so I had to just deal with my existential like anxiety about knowing that there was something else that I'd forgotten about, but could not remember for the life of me what it was. So I do that trick sometimes for like my grocery list. If I don't want to write it down, I'll just be like, oh yeah, go to the grocery store, make sure there are five items in my basket when I check out. Uh, And similar to you, sometimes I I have that problem. I had a light bulb moment the other day, which is that this trick is actually an example of uh, hashing content. (laughs) So if you're ever like hashing the contents of a file and then like wanting to compare that another file is the same and you check the hashes are the same, in a sense, you're kind of hashing your grocery list and your shopping cart and trying to see, do they both hash to the same value? Mm-hmm. Now, a good hashing algorithm has a like, infinitesimally low chance of a collision. Counting the number of items in your list or cart has a fairly high chance of a collision, right? There's You could have a cart and a list that both have five items, but they're not the same items, mm-hmm. yet this comparison would still make you think that they're the same. This is a very funny metaphor to me. I think the other issue is that as a human and not a computer, I do not have the mental storage space to then also remember what algorithm I'm using to hash my to-do list. The algorithm is the count function. (laughs) True, true. A more sophisticated algorithm than that. Yes, yes. Which is why I keep using this not very safe it's it's good enough. Sometimes we just need to be good enough. So, Joel, what's new in your world? So in a previous episode, I think we talked about some work I was doing exploring how to model dependent side effects, particularly D&D dice rolls. So this week I went from the theoretical to the practical and wrote up a miniature D&D damage dice roll app that you put in a few inputs and then it will roll all the the dice necessary and tell you, did you successfully hit your target? And if so, how much damage did you do? It takes into account all these uh, edge cases. Cool. That's so exciting because I think we mentioned last time how that would be a really interesting exercise to write out that code. Did you get any insight from doing that? Uh, I think... A lot of the insight that I got came from the initial diagramming phase, and I think the coding it out really solidified the things that I had learned from the diagramming. Of interest here is that there are effectively, or potentially, four separate dice rolling phases that can happen. First, you're rolling to see, can you hit your target? Uh, And depending on the situation, you're rolling one or two dice. And then after that, you're rolling to see if you do hit how much damage you do. And uh, you're either rolling sort of one set of dice or you might be rolling two sets of dice if you happen to do a critical hit. So I think the the diagram that I had like clearly showed these are four sets of uh, randomness that have to happen uh, and then how they relate to each other. These two are dependent on each other. These two are independent. 
I think one thing that was really interesting that I learned from the code is that for something like a dice roller, you usually don't want to see just the result. Because if I just have a button that says, you know, how much damage do I do? And then I get a number back that says, you did zero damage, or you did three damage. As a person, that's not very satisfying. And I don't know that I fully trust it. I want to see all the intermediate results. So I want to see, oh, did I roll two different dice for that initial two hit? What were the numbers? And then I can say, okay, well, I needed to roll above a five or roll above a 10. And I rolled these two dice and they were both under 10. That makes sense why I didn't hit. Or I rolled one of them above and one of them below, but I was rolling with disadvantage, which means I have to take the lower of the two numbers. So I could have hit, but I didn't. So I think that is really fun as a user to see the intermediate steps, but also as a developer, it helps me to be confident that the code I wrote works the way I expect it to. Yeah, that's really neat. I think what I love about this is that you took something that in some ways could be really simple, right? And the implementation could have like been just the first thing that you thought of, but you thought very deeply about it and made it the dice roller that you wanted in the world. <laughs> I'm curious, can anyone go check out this repo on the internet? Uh, yes. So we can link to the repo in the show notes. Uh, and also the little dice roller itself is up online at dnd-damage-roller.netlify.app. And we can link that as well for anybody who wants to go and check it out. Awesome. I think my goal in this is it's more of a learning exercise. I don't think the world needs another D&D dice roller. There are better ones built into more comprehensive tools. But it was fun for me to uh, work on this, to explore some ideas, and to dig into randomness. I've always had a fascination with uh, random roles. Debugging errors can be a developer's worst nightmare. But it doesn't have to be. Airbrake is an award-winning, error-monitoring, performance, and deployment-tracking tool created by developers for developers that can actually help cut your debugging time in half. So why do developers love Airbrake? It has all of the information that web developers need to monitor their application, including error management, performance insights, and deploy tracking. Airbrake's debugging tool catches all of your project errors, intelligently groups them, and points you to issues in the code so you can quickly fix the bug before customers are impacted. In addition to stellar error monitoring, Airbrake's lightweight APM helps developers track the performance and availability of their application through metrics like HTTP requests, response times, error occurrences, and user satisfaction. Finally, Airbrake deploy tracking helps developers track trends, fix bad deploys, and improve code quality. Since 2008, Airbrake has been a staple in the Ruby community and has grown to cover all major programming languages. Airbrake seamlessly integrates with your favorite apps to include modern features like single sign-on and SDK-based installation. From testing to production, Airbrake notifiers have your back. Your time is valuable, so why waste it combing through logs, waiting for user reports, or retrofitting other tools to monitor your application? You literally have nothing to lose. Head on over to airbrake.io slash bikeshed to create your free developer account today. So it sounds like the Dice Roller app 
really scratched an itch for you and was a fulfilling exercise uh, for you in just exploring randomness, like you mentioned, and just a theory or, uh, that you had about writing good code. I'm curious about how you think about fulfillment at work in general and what brings you fulfillment uh, as a developer. Fulfillment is really interesting because I think it's a really kind of personal question. It probably varies a little bit from person to person. Um, but there's probably also some aspects that are global to everyone. I know we've talked about things like psychological safety in the past. And, you know, like if you don't have things like that, that baseline, it's going to be hard to feel fulfilled. Yeah, I agree. I am thinking of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And in some ways, fulfillment is kind of the tip of the pyramid, right? If you are feeling safe and like you belong and get enough sleep, like we mentioned earlier, you can uh, reach towards getting into what really feels fulfilling and like gives you purpose in life. I love that you brought up Maslow's Pyramid because uh, like you said, that top part is self-actualization. And so, yeah, you need all those lower layers before you can actually reach the point of true fulfillment on the job. One thing I recently realized about myself is how I tend to approach projects that are in a difficult place. I find a lot of fulfillment in sort of relative change. Uh, it doesn't matter if a project is in a bad place, as long as the project, you know, on a week by week basis is moving in the right direction. It might still be in a bad place, but is it better than last week? And was I a part of making that better? That makes me feel good. Yes, I have always really admired your optimism around that and how you share, you know, even small wins. You're really good about that, actually, and like celebrating that. And it's interesting to learn that it's like that process itself that has a lot of meaning for you, because I think I am a little bit different in the sense that I have a you know, ideal version of working in my head. And if we're not there, even if we are making some incremental progress week to week, I think I like struggle. Sometimes I feel like frustrated or or stressed because I think that we're just not where I want to be. And I've definitely been thinking about harnessing some of that optimism and like celebration that you have around just like making things better a little bit at a time. I think it, we should be clear that this is not like the way one has to be. This is just how I tend to feel on projects. Yeah, absolutely. I know there are plenty of people who feel most fulfilled when they're on projects where things are mostly good. And then it's not about sort of incremental improvement in the product, but maybe it's sh shipping a lot of features and feeling like they're moving very quickly. Maybe it's that feeling yeah. of speed that gives them fulfillment rather than the feeling of incremental progress. Yeah, absolutely. I think what is helpful for me in hearing about this from you and just from others, I love talking to other people and learning about what motivates them, is seeing what else is possible outside of my own like little universe inside my head, you know, and doing the self-reflection to be like, okay, cool, like this works for Joelle, but maybe this doesn't work for me. But having the input from other people lets me discover more about myself in that way. That is incredibly powerful. I love that. I think in 
a variety of aspects of my life, but especially when it comes to kind of fulfillment and software and at work, talking to other people, seeing how they relate to a project or to a particular task. And like you said, getting to see their perspectives that are like sometimes totally different than mine. Yeah, absolutely. So you just mentioned one aspect of how you find fulfillment when a project is maybe in a tougher spot than usual. I'm curious if you can recall a time that you've been the most fulfilled at work. Most fulfilled? I think one of the most fulfilling projects I did uh, was several years ago, we built a dashboard for uh, just exploring a lot of uh, data from medical studies. And so the researchers would upload uh, some time series data for things like uh, heart rate or skin electrosensitivity or like a bunch of other things along with a video. It was a kind of an interview style situation. They were doing a session with a patient. And we would then sync all of these data streams up. We would sync it up to the video. And then you could kind of explore the data. There were scrubbers. Uh, so you could kind of scrub through the video and it would like scrub through the time series data all at the same time in sync. You could scrub through the time series data and it would like sync the video, the kind of like bi-directional. Uh, you could zoom in on the, the data. Uh, the idea is this is a high-level kind of exploratory tool. And you could then find the interesting bits of data that you could then do more quantitative analysis on. So you could then find like a part of the stream and say, this is the interesting part. Clip, you know, from 10 minutes 55 to 11 minutes 10 in the stream on all streams and then export just that data in a zip file. And then I'm going to put that through a bunch of like math and figure out, oh, is there a correlation between these these moments? So what about that project was really exciting or, or fun for you? I think the client was incredibly fun to work with. They, there's like a an energy and excitement. This was part of their, uh, I think, PhD thesis. And they were really excited, like incredibly knowledgeable, uh, just delightful to work with. I think this was a fun, so we built this uh, from scratch. It was a Greenfield app. I think it had a lot of interactivity, had a lot of uh, visuals. It was one of the first projects I got to work on that used Elm. I think all those things combined to just make it a really fun project to work on. It was also a fairly short project, so we had a very kind of tight deadline. We're like very pragmatic with absolutely everything on there. Like, what can we do to like get this done quickly? You know, what is, is this feature worth the time? So kind of classic uh, MVP product. And I think it was one of the most fun things I've built. Cool. I'm also hearing there was probably some creative aspect of it that was really fulfilling for you, like exploring a lot of new things. Like you said, you were working with Elm for the first time and the project itself sounds very different from some of our other more typical consulting engagements. And also the collaboration aspect, like you mentioned the tight deadline, but which compelled you all to like work really closely together to make this really cool thing in that short amount of time. Exactly. Yeah. It was like a, a three or four week project that I look back on really fondly and like, oh, that was a good time with those two colleagues and that client. And we, we did a thing. And it was really cool. That's awesome. 
I think it's really interesting that you kind of like just hearing that story, you're immediately picking up on like, oh, I see elements of creativity and exploration. Uh, do you have a kind of an internal system that you use to analyze uh, projects that you're on to be like, oh, this is the project I'm, I'm enjoying because of this element or that? Because uh, you seem very self-aware around these types of things. I'm glad you asked that because I think I was trying to reflect back to you some of the things that I picked up about what you were sharing. I have been reading a book, uh, surprise, surprise. It's called what? Engineering Management you for read? the Rest of Us. <laughs> I read by Sarah Drasner. And I am not an engineering manager and I don't necessarily know if I even want to be, but I really enjoy reading management books to better understand how to manage myself or like how to be a person who is managed. And one of the things she talks about is understanding an individual's values mm. and how those things end up being what motivates them and also likely what brings fulfillment. And so after I learned about the value of values, I started thinking, okay, like what is it that I am motivated by and really reflecting on when I have felt really good about work and also when I've felt challenged or unhappy at work and what things were missing during that time. So the things that I have realized that I am very motivated by are human connection. Like I love spending quality time with people and that is probably why I enjoy pairing so much, but also in my one-on-ones with my manager, I really enjoy that time just being time for us to like share space and get to know each other and, and talk. Um, it doesn't necessarily need to be going through agenda items or a status report or even necessarily talking about my project. So you mentioned that you value quality time with others. Is that a reference to the, the five love languages concept? It is. It is. I think I also made a bit of a connection there too, you know, because what I like in my personal relationships also obviously applies to work. Yeah. It's how you feel appreciated, how you feel fulfilled. Yeah. And just for our listeners who may not have read this book, I think the, the concept is that there are five ways that people like to receive appreciation? Yeah, I think receive and both express appreciation and love. And quality time is one of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the other four, if I remember correctly, are acts of service, words of affirmation, physical touch. Gift giving is the last one. Yeah, so that was a, a fun reflection on my part in being able to just know what makes me feel good. And then it also helps me communicate with other people how to work with me. I think that is super important. I love when people share with me like what, I mean, I, I mentioned this earlier, just like what drives them and how they like to be appreciated so that I can do my best to try to, you know, offer them that. And I guess this actually is a good transition into the next value of mine that really drives me. I, I was thinking about this because I mentioned just now that I was learning, you know, some new React tools, new to me anyway. And I'm like, yeah, I like learning. But then I was like, I don't, I don't know if I like learning the way other people like learning in the sense that it's not the knowledge itself or the process of learning itself that drives me, but learning as a tool to better understand myself. So I think like personal development is very important to me. And that feels different from how other people might value learning. Interesting. So you might be excited to learn, let's say, a new React testing tool, but not because you're like chasing the latest shiny tech, 
more because you feel like the process of learning this testing tool helps you learn something new about yourself? Yeah, I think that sounds right. One of the tools specifically, we're using MSW Mock Service Worker for mocking network requests in Jest. And I was able to use information about testing in Rails and Ruby and apply that to this new tool. And I got to kind of like revel in the fact that I could use previous learnings to apply in this new context. And that was really cool to me. So it wasn't necessarily like the tool itself or even the process of learning, but kind of realizing that I was capable of applying one thing to this uh, less familiar thing. So kind of that, that realization that, hey, you're now far enough in your career and you have enough experience, you have a broad base of knowledge that all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute, I'm not starting from scratch anymore. I can apply lessons learned in the past to learn this new thing and make that easier. And that's a really validating feeling. Exactly. That was really cool to me. And I felt really good afterwards. I think this week at work has been very uh, uplifting because I've been having all these little mini revelations, if you will. I love that. I love that so much. So one thing that I think is very easily conflated with fulfillment is the idea of success. And I kind of want to talk about the distinction between success and fulfillment. Does that bring up any thoughts for you? Yes, I think the two are often entangled, but they're definitely not the same thing. It is possible to be fulfilled on a project that is not successful. And it's also possible to be on a successful project and yet not feel fulfilled. But oftentimes the two go together because when things are going well on a project, they're probably also going well in a lot of other ways and you might be feeling fulfilled as long as general parameters fit in, right? If, you know, values line up, things like that. I know for me, I value kind of quality and excellence and doing work that I'm proud of. So I think if I were working at a place that was doing kind of low quality, uh, low cost work where it's just like, you know what, you want it cheap and low quality, come to us, we'll just get it done quick and cheap. And yeah, it's not going to be great, but you get what you pay for. There's a reason this part of the market exists and it's a you know, totally valid way to, to build software. But I would not feel fulfilled there, even though maybe the clients are absolutely happy with the work that's being done. So I think that would be a situation where uh, there is success, but I might not feel personally fulfilled. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I think I really struggled in the beginning of my consulting career with equating client happiness with success. And I'm now just starting to kind of like unlearn that a little bit and and realizing that success means different things to different people. So, you know, even if we talk about ThoughtBot for just a second, one of ThoughtBot's values as a company is seeking fulfillment in everything that we do. And so even though, like you said, the client might be totally happy, like for ThoughtBot, that may not be a successful client engagement if you, Joelle, like as the developer staffed on that project, didn't find fulfillment because what success for us here is that we are fulfilled in the project itself. And that was really helpful because, you know, in some ways I'm like, well, like who who care who else cares besides me that I'm fulfilled, you know, and to be like, oh, like, yeah, actually what our collective success means is that I'm fulfilled and you're fulfilled. 
that was really important to me and one thing that I really appreciate about working here. Fulfillment comes partly from our environment, from maybe the, the project that we're working on, our colleagues, um, but also comes to a certain extent from ourselves. And to a certain extent, we can drive that ourselves as well. And I think that first step is a certain amount of like self-awareness and self-understanding. You are clearly a master at this. What are some things that you do to drive that, that self-understanding to build maybe a sense of how you become fulfilled and like identifying those values that make you feel fulfilled on a project? Listen, I don't know if I would call myself a master at this, only that I'm like very actively working on it in my life right now in therapy, but also in talking to other people about this because, yeah, sometimes it has caused me a lot of turmoil. You know, I'll be like really stuck in a rut or feeling a lot of burnout. And that ironically actually motivates me to be like, how can this be different? And oftentimes that means I have to look inward. But you and I had a conversation last week off mic that was really helpful for me because I was feeling really bummed about my client work and, you know, it not going the way that I thought it would. And your insight helped me, you know, think about the project a little differently and think about metrics of success differently for that project. It's, you know, I could not expect that project to look exactly like all of my past experiences and success for those projects we're not the same for this project. So yeah, talking to others, highly recommend that. I guess you mentioned that you you read a lot of management books and a lot of books geared towards managers for you know discussing things like how to set up a one-on-one. Those are almost like, they're not really therapy, but they kind of lean a little bit towards that sometimes and trying to create fulfillment for your direct reports. So maybe seeing it from the other side helps you build understanding. Yeah, actually, that's totally a great call out because I highly recommend reading books about management, even if you're not interested in management, only because there's no guarantee that you'll have a good manager who can do all of those things for you. So if you can equip yourself for doing those things, then you are likely to have a better, you know, just like workplace experience, in my, in my opinion. And I guess the obvious one that we have not talked about, if you do have a good manager, have these conversations with them. Yeah, absolutely. Part of their job is to help you be more fulfilled. And they should be having conversations to maybe help you discover those ways that you are feeling fulfilled at work and how to how to get there. Yeah. Here's one aspect that we have not talked about that I, I'm curious to explore a little bit. Uh, recognition. Ooh, yeah, that's a good one. How important it is, is it for you to feel recognized either by your colleagues or by the more official work structure? This is a great question. I do value recognition from people I trust. So Mm. I I think, you know, we were talking about sometimes client projects are not successful, but you tried your best and you did do valuable work and you might not hear that from the client. You know, they might think differently, but if a trusted coworker can provide that validation for you, Oftentimes, I find that more helpful. That's an interesting distinction. And I think recognition has a very different weight depending on the source it's coming from. If there's somebody you look up to and, you know, they just give you like a shout out or something, and I am like riding that high all day long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. How do you like to receive recognition? Hmm. So... 
uh, at Thoughtbot, we have uh, an internal system where we can give shout outs uh, to each other. They're called high fives. And they get shared directly to the team Slack channel. And you know, it's a small thing, but I, I really appreciate it when somebody calls out like, hey, I appreciated this thing that you did, or this is the thing that had an impact on me, uh, or I appreciated this thing that you shared. Those things make me feel really great. And you know, it's a small thing. It takes 30 seconds to do, uh, but I really appreciate that. And uh, it's something that I am looking to more intentionally do more of, right? Because it's fun to receive recognition, but it's also really valuable to, to give recognition. Yeah, I'm with you. I am also trying to be intentional about being even more generous with my positive feedback for others. And I think there's also some degree of recognition that and validation to give to yourself. Mm, Self-validation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm definitely trying to do more of that because if I'm, you know, doing work that lines up with my values, I want to be able to, you know, pat myself on the back for it, even if no one else will do it for me. Yeah, what does that look like? You're like standing in the mirror and saying like, good job. (laughs) Are you, do you have maybe a a document where you kind of uh, list the things that you feel proud of, even if nobody else has noticed? What does that look like for you? Ooh, yeah. A brag document. I think some folks at ThoughtBot have recommended doing that. For me, it's going and getting myself a treat. So I like that. Maybe like a latte the next morning or going to get, uh, you know, just like a sweet thing. Yeah, that's my way of doing it. So we've talked about uh, self-recognition, recognition recognition from colleagues. I think another element is recognition from management or the company that you're working at. That can be just praise. But oftentimes, I think when you're looking at recognition from something a little bit more corporate, it has a more kind of concrete aspect to it. Uh, and maybe that is come yearly evaluation time, there's a raise that recognizes the fact that you've done good work. I know for me, last year, I got a big promotion. Uh, and I felt like I had been performing at a level that was kind of pretty far above and beyond the title that I had. And getting that promotion in some ways was very much kind of validation and uh, recognition of the fact that I had been performing at that at that high level. Yeah, it sounds like the acknowledgement for the expanded like work that you had been doing was really motivating for you. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that acknowledgement is really motivating because it really is. And sometimes the reverse is also true. You feel discouraged or unmotivated because of the good work that you're doing is not recognized. Right. Are you familiar with the idea of intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation? Yeah, I am. Being motivated by something externally, like someone offering a promotion or or a raise or whatever, versus it coming from yourself. Yeah. And I think for, for many people, like you're probably not purely motivated by one or the other. You know, there's some things where you're motivated by your own internal values, as we mentioned earlier, and some things where you're motivated by incentives offered at work. Uh, And that balance will probably shift over time and in different moments. Yeah. But having a little bit of both can be really, really powerful. If you can be living up to your values and then get rewarded for it, that's kind of peak fulfillment right there. 
Yeah, that's the sweet spot. Yeah, I I wish that for everyone in the world. (laughs) On that note, shall we wrap up? Let's wrap up. Show notes for this episode can be found at bikeshed.fm. This show has been produced and edited by Mandy Moore. If you enjoyed listening, one really easy way to support the show is to leave us a quick rating or even a review in iTunes. It really helps other folks find the show. If you have any feedback for this or any of our other episodes, you can reach us at underscore bike shed, or you can reach me at Joel Ken on Twitter. Or reach both of us at hosts at bikeshed.fm via email. Thanks so much for listening to The Bike Shed, and we'll see you next week. Bye! Bye. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot, your expert strategy, design, development, and product management partner. We bring digital products from idea to success and teach you how because we care. Learn more at ThoughtBot.com.